how hard our ancestors worked before us, how that their lives were really very tough, and they had to put forth extreme physical effort just to provide the very basic necessities of life. Literally, men would work from sunrise to sunset, collapse into bed, completely worn out, to get up the next day and do the same things over again. Life was hard, and people worked really hard. Uh, the women in families would work so hard. Uh, today's Mother's Day, by the way, and we're glad for all of our mothers. We think our mothers today still work really hard, but I don't tell you, you don't work as hard as your grandmothers and great-grandmothers work. Uh, we've got a lot of nice modern conveniences, washing machines and dishwashers and microwave ovens and all. Our, our predecessors didn't have those kind of things, and their life was hard. They worked hard. My guess is that if suddenly we were thrown back into the situation that they lived in every day, that it'd probably kill most of us. I mean, literally, I doubt that we could survive more than a couple of weeks having to live like they lived with all the hardships that they endured. They worked really hard. They worked hard. Thankfully, times have advanced and we have so many conveniences that we need to be grateful for that have made our work much easier. But I tell you, I think that there is also a problem associated with that to the extent that maybe we have lost an aspect of what we refer to as work ethic. That as people, we need a work ethic. Now, maybe that doesn't mean that you're out there, you know, uh, grubbing out roots of trees uh, every day to make a field to plant a crop. But it does mean that we need to be able to to work and, and be uh, industrious, to get things done, to set goals and accomplish them and so forth. We need a work ethic. And I'm concerned that maybe we have lost that somewhat in our day and time, and it may be directly related to the fact that we have so many conveniences at our disposal. But we need a strong work ethic in the physical world, but especially in regards to our service to God, we need to have a strong work ethic. And we want to talk about that in our lesson this morning. But in order to discuss that, you may be a little bit surprised about how we want to address this. We want to observe Satan's work ethic. Now, Satan is our absolute dire enemy, of course. And we usually uh, typically associate everything about Satan with what is bad. Uh, John says that he is the liar and father of all lies. He's a, he's a, he's a absolutely despicable being who has every bad intention. Passages of scripture refer to him as the prince and ruler of darkness and evil. He's the tempter. He's the slanderer. In the text that was read to, that uh, was read to us just earlier by Anthony, he's called our adversary. We're going to look at that text in a little bit as we study together this morning. And someone, so someone might say, well, why would we ever want to be like Satan? We don't want to be like Satan in any of those ways. But I want to suggest to you that he has, an, he has a work ethic. And I hope you understand what I mean by that. He, he sets goals and he goes after them. And we want to see if we can learn something about how he goes after what's important to him. Now, what's important to him is not at all important to us. We're just exactly the opposite, of course, or ought to be at least. But in regards to the things that he wants and that are important to him, He's got a drive that, uh, that we can learn from. So we want to look at Satan's work ethic this morning. I want to stop here for just a moment to thank everybody for being present on this Lord's Day. We have a beautiful, beautiful Lord's Day in Middle Tennessee. Uh, 
And again, as we mentioned just a minute ago, it's Mother's Day, and we've got people visiting us to be here with their mothers today. We're grateful for all of our mothers, and for those of you who've come to be with yours, we're glad to have you uh, with us this morning, too. Our intention, our primary and important intention this morning is to honor and glorify our Father which is in heaven. We hope that we can do that and accomplish that. We think that we do that by worshiping him just as he has prescribed in the pages of Scripture, trying to follow the Bible just as carefully and closely as we possibly can. Uh, and so if you have questions about why we're doing things the way we do, please ask them and we'll try to give you a Bible answer for that. As we study together from the Word of God, we hope all of us will be edified. And uh, if, if, we hope that that's the case, but it may be that if we study together, some question comes up in your mind. And if that's the case, by all means, ask those questions. and We'll try to give a Bible answer. Let's see what we can learn by observing Satan's work ethic. Now, again, we don't have the same goals he has. Our goals ought to be just the opposite of his. But in regards to what he's trying to get done, notice how he goes about it. One of the things that we observe about his work ethic is that he is constant in his efforts. Um, we even have an expression, uh, and I know you've heard it, somebody, he, he, work, he works like the devil. What do we mean by that? That means he just go, 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 go. He never, he never stops. He's constant in his effort. Now, in that text that Anthony read for us earlier in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary is... Uh, the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The very picture of that, the uh, picture of Satan like a predator. And you can just imagine a predator just constantly looking, prowling, trying to see, can I get that one? Can I get that one? Uh, that, that is such an uh, uh, incredible picture of what Satan does spiritually. He's just constantly on the prowl seeking whom he may devour. I think we've done this exercise before, but I, I, I want to repeat it to you this morning. A little bit of a, a Bible trivia question, if you will, if you can call anything about the Bible trivial. We'll call this a Bible trivia question. Best as I can tell, there are three, only three instances in the Bible where we have the recorded words of Satan. Can you think where they are? I, I, I think, I think I've got them all. I think there's only three, which is kind of amazing because the idea of Satan and the work that Satan's trying to get done is pervasive all through the Bible. But think about the three times. Can you recall the three times that Satan spoke and his words are actually recorded for us in our Bible? I think the first one is easy in the Garden of Eden with Eve, right? In the Garden of Eden with Eve. The second time, actually there's a couple of conversations recorded in the book of Job. Remember with Job? Uh, Satan was ne actually negotiating with God in the early chapters of the book of Job. The third time, the temptation of Jesus in the New Testament, right? Recorded in Matthew chapter 4, and, and uh, gospel accounts have him speaking on that occasion. Now, what was he doing every time? We only have his recorded words three times. What was he doing every time? He was trying to get somebody to sin, right? Eve in the garden... With Job, he was trying to, he, Job was an upright and righteous man and was driving Satan crazy. He was trying to get at Job, see if he could get Job sent. And then obviously he was tempting Satan. And so he is, he is just absolutely tireless in his efforts. Every time you read him speaking, what's he doing? He's doing what's important to him, trying to get someone to sin and lose their soul. He never quits. Now, 
What we're saying here is that we ought to have that same intention toward our goals. Our goals are not His goals, but our, in regards to our spiritual goals, we need to be constant in our efforts. We study about the early church as it's recorded in the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it says, Then they that gladly received His word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. On that very first day that the gospel was preached in Jerusalem, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 obeyed the gospel. Can you imagine, could you, can you even in your wildest dreams imagine the day when the gospel is preached and 3,000 people would respond to be baptized? Would that be incredible? But it didn't stop there. When you get into chapter 4, uh, verse 4, many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of men was about 5,000. Well, that's growing, growing incredibly rapidly. Uh, we're just so impressed with what was happening among those Christians and the church there in Jerusalem. How do you get that? How do you get those kinds of responses? How does the church grow like that? Well, there's a lot of factors, right? There are plenty of factors that factor into church growth, and we've talked about church growth even recently. But I'll tell you one of the things that factored into that in chapter 2, verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking bread and in prayers. What was leading to that kind of rapid growth was that they were working tirelessly. They were just constantly, steadfastly doing the work of God. We cannot expect to have great success unless we can have that same sort of tireless effort in serving God, constantly doing His will. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We just read that the early disciples were steadfast, and here is an instruction for us to be steadfast in the work that we're doing for God. So in regard to Satan, one of the things we see about him is he's got these objectives. They're horrible. They're horrible, horrible objectives that Satan has. But man, he's going after them, just constantly, constantly, constantly driving toward those objectives. We can learn from that in regards to what we want to do spiritually. We've got to keep driving at that. Constantly, constantly, constantly doing the will of God in our lives. Now, another thing that we know about Satan is that he's versatile in his attack. Uh, versatile in his attack. How will we illustrate that? Well, sometimes maybe you're working on something and maybe you have a piece of equipment or something and it breaks, but you have got to get done that day. Uh, what, the, what do we say sometimes? Necessity is the mother of invention. And so what am I going to do here? Bailing wire is famous for its adaptation to all kinds of necessity, right? And so this piece of equipment very quick. You take some bailing wire and you wind it around there and you tie it up as tight as you can, try to keep it together till you can get done with the job. You, you, you may have to do something just very odd to get to accomplish. I have got to get this done today. And so I'm going to put it together with bailing wire or do whatever I have to do. I'll, I'll be versatile in order to get the job done that needs to be done. That's, that's what we do, right? Necessity is the mother of invention. Well, Satan is like that, again, in regards to his objectives. He'll try every possible technique. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, 
Paul says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Notice that Paul says Satan has devices at his disposal. He's not just going to do one simple thing. If he just did one simple thing, if, he, if, if his approach toward us was always identically the same, we could build a wall there, right? He's not going to get at us because we know he does the same thing every time. Every time Satan tries to get at me, he does it the same way. I just set my defense right there against that approach. No problem. All is easy. Not so. Not so because he's constantly changing his methods. He has all sorts of devices at his disposal. And he uses them. In 1 John chapter 2, beginning verse 15, we studied this recently in our Sunday morning class here in the auditorium. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If, the love, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Three broad areas of Satan's approach here. Talking about techniques he uses. There'd be lots of subpoints here, I'm sure. But there's three broad areas, and John identifies them as the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. So in those three broad areas, Satan has all kinds of devices that he uses, but he, what we're saying is that he, he diversifies. He, he uses different methods. He's going to come at us in all different possible and conceivable ways. Actually, if we go back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, we see him using those three methodologies in regards to Eve. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. We see him using those very same methods all the way back. And so, from our first exposure to Satan and the work he's trying to do, we see him just going about it, versatile, using different techniques and methods to tempt people, try and get them to sin. He keeps doing that. Now, what could we learn from that? Our point is we want to learn from his work ethic, not to do what he does, but maybe if we worked as hard as he works to get done what we want to do, we would, we would do better. And so in this sense, uh, we, need, we need to learn about using versatile techniques to get to our goal. Now, we're not suggesting unscriptural approaches. Please understand that caveat here. We're not saying that we ought to just go willy-nilly out here, throw Bible authority out the window and just do whatever it takes to draw numbers. Unfortunately, folks in the religious world have and are doing that very thing. We're not suggesting that. But in regards to things that are scriptural and authorized, we ought, to, we ought not to just keep doing the same thing over and over again and, and, and keep, getting, you know, keep getting no results, but we'll keep doing the same thing over and over again. Our goal is to convert lost sinners. That's what our goal is. We ought to keep using any approach that we can, any scriptural approach that we can, that might reach them. Uh, so someone suggests that we have some kind of a outreach effort in our community to reach lost sinners. Ah, someone said, we tried that once, it didn't work. Okay, that didn't work, what will work? You know, we tried that once, it doesn't work, so now we're not going to do anything. Well, no, we tried that once, and maybe we didn't have great success, we can try again. Or we can try something different, again, as long as it's biblically authorized, but we can't just do nothing, right? We've got to keep working to reach our goal of converting lost sinners to the Lord. Uh, someone says gospel meetings don't work anymore. 
I don't really believe that necessarily. Uh, I think gospel meetings, the, the, the effectiveness of gospel meetings and the emphasis of gospel meetings has changed over the years. But if gospel meetings are not the right approach, then suggest something that is. But we cannot just do nothing. We have to keep working and be versatile in our approach to reach lost people. Again, I want to stress, we're not suggesting that we can do unauthorized things. But in regards to authorized things, we need to be versatile in our approach. What else can you say about Satan? Certainly he's constant. He's changing. He, he, he's just on the go all the time to get done what he wants to do. And I'd like to point out that he just is undaunted in his goals. Now, you may wonder what I mean by that, and I suppose the easiest thing that I can do to explain that is to point out how that he even tried to get Jesus. He even tried to get Jesus. Luke chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. I'm going to tell you, if Satan is so determined in his work that he would even try to get Jesus to sin, that tells you he's not deterred by anyone. That'd be sort of like us. Uh, I want to try. I, I want to try to convert the president of the United States. Oh no! Come on! You can't. You're not even going to get to see the president of the United States. I'm not even going to let you talk to him. No, that's, I'm going to try to reach. We, everybody would think we're just absolutely crazy if we thought we were going to convert the president of the United States, right? That that, that pales in comparison to Satan trying to get Jesus to sin. He even tried to get Jesus to sin. You think he's going to try to get you to sin? Yeah, he's going to try to get you to sin. He's, going to, he's not going to stop at anybody. He wouldn't even stop at Jesus. And what's interesting is that he was so determined to get Jesus, he didn't just tempt him on this one occasion. In verse 13 of Luke 4, it says, when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. He didn't stop trying to get Jesus just because you know, we know that initial attempt three different ways that he tried to get Jesus to sin. Jesus rejected them all by quoting scripture. We remember we've studied that, but it was not the case that Satan said, "Oh well, no use. I give up." No, he he came back again and again. He left him temporarily, but he came back again. Luke says uh, that's the way he works, and that's the way we need to work too toward our goals. Don't be deterred. Never give up. Don't get discouraged. Keep on working. In fact, if you fail the first time, try harder the next time. Um, is there anybody in your realm of acquaintances that you have actually maybe said in your own mind or perhaps even voiced it to someone else saying, there's no use talking to that person. There's no use talking to them. They wouldn't be interested. Even if I did invite them to services, even if I did try to get them to engage in a Bible study, even if I did try to share the truth with them, they, they're not in. There's no use even trying. They're not, they're not interested. They wouldn't be interested. I want to tell you, what we learned from Satan is that he wouldn't give up, even in those kinds of circumstances. Paul said, we look at this passage pretty often. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, beginning verse 12, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I am laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, 
I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is a New, a new American Standard uh, version uh, of this text. But I, I wanted to emphasize the idea of a goal. We've got to have a goal. Paul had a goal. And he said, I press on toward the goal. That's what we've got to do. That's what Satan does in, toward, in regards to his goals. That's what we've got to do in regards to our goals. We're not there yet. Just like Paul. He said he wasn't there yet, but he kept pressing on toward the goal. Satan keeps pressing on toward his goals. He's undeterred. He's undaunted. He's, he will not give up. He doesn't get discouraged and quit. And that's the way we need to, to, to be in regards to the work that we do for the Lord. So what can we learn by observing Satan's work ethic? Constant, versatile, undaunted. Now, there may be some things that you would think of to add to that list, but those three things in and of themselves are really important, wouldn't you agree? And that if we would imitate him in the sense of applying those notions toward our goals, which are totally different than his, maybe we could get a lot more done to the honor and glory of God. You know, what's really interesting is that all that Satan's doing is in a losing effort. It's already been determined. He loses this thing, right? Well, when, it, when all is said and done, Satan is going to be the loser of this great spiritual battle. And so even in a losing effort, he's working like we tried to describe in our lesson this morning. We actually know that if we serve God faithfully, we'll be on the winning side. We need to work hard in, in the service of God, on the winning side the great struggle between good and evil in this world. Thanks for your attention to what we've had to say and hope it would be encouragement to us all to work harder, have a greater work ethic in our service for God. We're going to end the lesson by singing a song of invitation. And as we sing this song, we'll be asking all to consider your, your own life and your own situation, your relationship with God. Are you a Christian yet? Have you obeyed that simple plan described in the Scriptures? The plan simply is this. You hear the truth, you believe it, you repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus as the Son of God, and be baptized for the remission of sins. Have you done that yet? If you have not, if you understand those things, if you understand your need, we encourage you to make that decision, and we stand ready to assist you in your obedience. If you're a Christian already, but you've let Satan succeed in this constant prowling around to see who he can devour spiritually, if you if, if he's... If he's taking a big bite out of you spiritually, if, if you have fallen victim to his constant efforts, you don't have to stay there. What's, what's really amazing is that God has provided an avenue for us to escape, even if we have fallen into the snare of Satan. If you've fallen and you've become unfaithful to the Lord, we urge you to come back to him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song. Uh, um...